Hello and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, the podcast where we review and discuss movies, TV shows, and everything else pop culture. Today we'll be taking a look at the second episode in the third season of the Disney Plus original series, The Mandalorian. My name is Ivan, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, space pirate, high magistrate, and up-and-coming Twitch streamer slash pro gamer, Emmett. Yes, we are at the 11th hour of the Fortnite Season 4 Chapter 2 update. I'm pumped! Are we really? Is there an update coming this week? Oh, this is why you don't have (laughs) control over our Twitch channel, okay? I'm hip, I get it, I understand it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, dude, we got a new season. Oh boy. Okay. Well. Or new chapter? I don't know the differences. This is the disadvantage of not bringing my switch as I'm traveling currently. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna miss out on this epic download. You know what is amazing though? To take a look back, we we joke about Fortnite all the time, but to take a look back at like where it started, it is a totally different game but still the exact same mechanics yeah like, nobody built back then it may if anyone knew how to build a wall or a singular ramp they were like i can't fight this guy he's too good <laughs> <laughs> that's true it hasn't really changed all that much i see a lot of criticism for it because of all the uh collabs and stuff that they're doing but honestly like it's never bothered the only thing that ever like gets me I guess, like, to walk away from it a little bit every now and again. Or, like, when they change some of, like, the, the map stuff. or um... ah, See, I love those map updates. That keeps it fresh. But when it's, like, so many new weapons to learn, that's the difficult yeah. thing. So far, I think the, the one I've least enjoyed is, like, the one where we had all those dinosaurs and the bows running around. I, lo- Just cause, I like, like that the... season. It was so hard to find good weapons, though, for yeah. such a long time. I feel like right now style. it's a little too easy to find good stuff, though, right now. I don't know if it's just me, but like I feel like it's, it just kind of yeah. takes the challenge away a little bit. That's, that's just you. <laughs> <laughs> Some okay. of us struggle. Some of us struggle <laughs> out there, all right? <laughs> no, the, the, I think we can agree, though. The best season was like when they had the Marvel stuff in there. And you like you yeah, get Iron one. Man's powers. Oh my God! Everybody was going for this because you had Doom, you had Iron Man, and I forget which other one you had. Um, who you else had, did like, they have? You had like the Wolverine. I think they had. Yeah. Um, was it Black Panther too, or? I don't think it was Black. There was a third character because I know Doom had his whole castle thing in in the map. Iron Man had his like workshop place. Why am I forgetting the lab? The other there was at least one more other like map centered spot where there was a character with powers on it that'll come to us that's going to be in our corrections at the end of the episode it might have been venom and that might have been a be. different time of a collaboration though no, oh, no maybe so you're right because i remember it breaking through like everybody's builds was, yeah it, see this is the problem though they do so many collabs that it all just like merges together yeah but not all of them are like legit collabs some of them are just like skins skin i mean i don't stuff. i don't care for the anime stuff I don't, I don't care for it. <laughs> Get this anime stuff out of here. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you're telling me you don't care about Goku and his friends? Or Naruto? Or Boruto? Or Haruto? I don't know. I, don't know. I, I like the... Burrito. Yeah, Burrito's but... a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that anime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
while we move on the, we've lost our half our audience yeah a couple I'm boomers sorry. talking about Fortnite. sorry everybody i was just <laughs> millennial talk over here <laughs> can we get to your wall you have anything fun on your wall um, I'm doing a little business traveling this week, uh, but I managed to find some time to go to the movies because as an AMC Stubbs member, they cover you every city you're at. Don't matter where you go. <laughs> you got that AMC membership. Um, Not a so paid sponsor, a... No, but maybe one of these days, you know, who knows? <laughs> um, I put I pulled a double feature uh, two, two nights ago. Um, I went to go see Cocaine Bear and Creed 3. Um it was a it was really really good to see it at the Metreon here in San Francisco. They have some pretty good um, big screens. Not a lot of like space for, not a lot of seats is what I mean. But like the the, the theater screens are at least like twice the size that they are in New York. So really impressive. <laughs> like any, if anybody is around the San Francisco area, and, and uh, you know your 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 dynasty movie, the Metreon is is, is pretty cool. Um, but Cocaine Bear. I raved about this before, maybe a few episodes ago. I got a chance to watch it when it was, um, it wasn't like fully finished yet. I was invited to an event where I got a chance to take a look at it, but I enjoyed it then. I enjoyed it even more now because I got to watch it with a, a group of coworkers and like, you know, just you had your little crowd reactions there. Um, it's a really, really fun movie for anybody that likes like dark horror slash comedies. Um, it's, it's weird. I, I I went into it the first time thinking I'm about to watch Sharknado again, which that original Sharknado I enjoyed because it was so stupid that it was it, it was fun. Whereas this is like legitimately fun and like the movie's not overly stupid. It's just you know it, it's just not taking anything too seriously. Um, but it's a lot of fun. So I if anybody is curious about it, Cocaine Bear is so far my favorite movie of this year so far. But we're in March, so <laughs> that's probably going to change at some point. That's still that's still pretty high praise. Um, yeah, Creed three also. I don't want to talk too much about it because I feel like we. I, I kind of want to talk about this with you when you get a chance to watch Creed three. But I thought it was the strongest installment out of the three so far. Um, but I I'll reserve more of my opinion on Creed three after you watch it because I do want to have a <laughs> little bit of a discussion on that once you get around to it. That's pretty high praise there, man. Jonathan Major's just killing it this year, too. Is he as big as I want him to be physically? Um, take the Jonathan Majors of your dreams and then, like, add another six inches to him. And he's that big. Six inches where? Oh, you know, like, height-wise. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is a family-friendly show, okay? <laughs> <laughs> what was the line in uh, Game of Thrones? Height doesn't matter when we're laying in our backs. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrion says, "Thank goodness for that." That show is man. Get that. Get that another season. Give, give it a redo with House of the Dragons. Is. <laughs> I'm probably not gonna check out Cocaine Bear though. I'll be honest. Check it out whenever. Like if you go with a buddy or something, it, it works. I feel like alone. It's like a no. I I have no friends that would want to see that. Oh okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I will tell you a good show though for yourself. Not not yeah, that shoot. you would relate to this. <laughs> but Shrinking <laughs> on Apple Plus. Whew. Dude, that show is funny. This is a uh, um what's his name? Jason Siegel. 
and Han Solo in the same production. He's basically oh. uh, Jason's basically playing this like therapist who's like having tough times and starts breaking like the cardinal rule of therapy where you're supposed to keep work and personal life separate so that you know you can be a trusted voice and he starts getting like overly involved in his patients lives which is just like a hysterical plot line itself um but he's he's crushing it. i'm like only like halfway through but um it's a really funny show man i i feel like apple plus has so few uh entries into like new content but i feel like they don't miss they've been surprisingly like getting some pretty good content out there i i I've also been watching um when I, I i got a chance to watch uh i think it's called dear edward or something it's, it's a show about this uh plane crash survivor but yeah like i i gotta check out shrinking because like the i get recommendations on apple plus stuff and i haven't really paid too much mind to it to them but because like other than Ted Lasso, right? There's not been too much buzz around other projects, but I feel like that that should um, they should get a little bit more of a spotlight. Were they Welcome to Wrexham, or was that uh, Hulu? That it was Hulu, Hulu, I think. But they yeah. do have Rob's other show, um, Mythic Quest, which I loved. That yeah okay yeah I was, I was trying to wonder like if that was Hulu too because I, no, I, I that's, could have that's that definitely was... Apple. But like okay. the, the only the only problem with like Apple's recommendations is that. It, it's the same thing on every row. It's like trending shows and then our top shows. And it's the same things. Like there's no rolling yeah. to it. And I feel like Netflix is starting to become a lot like that as well, where it's like, it used to be a joke where it was like, okay, this row is very similar to a different row. Sequentially being yeah. exactly the same. Plus I don't see a lot of advertising for Apple plus um, stuff outside. Other of the than that Chalamet. I don't know why I thought that was an AMC replacement for the, the heartbreak feels like a good play. Like no, this place feels like good for heartbreak or something like that. Yeah, no, that's uh, those are different. But same energy for sure. <laughs> it is the same energy. Yeah. <laughs> nah, I, I, I'll add it to my list. It'll definitely as I fly back to, to New York in in a, in a few days. I definitely will need some content, so I'll put it. Yeah, on. I will say this show. Like one thing that I. I usually am not annoyed about is that like when you're binge watching a show, you get that five seconds to like pick up the remote and hit stop or just let it go. And you're like, yeah, just let it go. Let me get in the next one. This show kind of ruins that where you're like, pause it for a second. These are some heavy endings that I want to like sit with for a second. So that's the only time that like, I've really noticed that that autoplay is, is not to a benefit. So Jason, Jason Siegel, you said in Harrison Ford, yeah, and then I forget her wow. name. She was it was one of the um, anchors on the Daily Show as well. It's like a group of three therapists that um, share like an office, and they like have all these interactions and try and tell him that he's doing the wrong thing. And then he's like, "No, it's right." And then by the end of the episode, you see that it's not. That's I'm selling it like show. like I got stock <laughs> in it. <laughs> Let's move the on. The Daily Show alums are, are making their rounds, though. There's a Daily Show alum in, in Cocaine there also, playing a pretty oh, yeah? pretty important role. Yeah, I know they're comedians and stuff on that show, but like I didn't, I don't know, like I kind of took it for for granted that they're actually performers also outside of that space. So whenever I see them out in like a like a, like a side character role, it always kind of throws me off, and I'm expecting to get a news segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, her name was uh, Jessica Williams. Uh, okay, 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 yeah. I think I remember her from from the Trevor the earlier Trevor Noah days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's so funny. All right, let's move on. Let's get on to Mando episode I can't. two. Did this Oof, one have a what's name? What's this one called? Minds yeah, the of, Minds of Mandalore. Minds of Mandalore. Jinx. Reminds me of the Minds of Moria. I was gonna say it's <laughs> it's too close. It's too close, and it kind of had the okay. same energy. It did on a couple of different levels. We'll get into it. Why don't you kick us off with your thoughts since I went first on the on our little uh, what's on your wall segment here. General thoughts. I mean, this one, I hate to be you in this situation, but I have a feeling that this season's going to be one of those ones where it's like this episode tops the last episode. Did. And I don't know if it's because it builds up an in intensity and that's why we like it more, even though the first one was such a strong entry into you know, multiple high stakes battles. This one feels a little different though than most of our Mandalorian episodes where it's not quite as predictable how it's going to end or where they're going to make that cut to black um which I like and I it, I think there's also this like time dilation that you had spoke upon in the last episode where it was like it, I think they're they're only like 40 minutes this one was a little bit less even but they they get so much in there that it feels like it's been an hour since I've started watching it and I don't know when this is going to end and it, they could cut it at any time. And that really increases the stakes for me. Um, plus I, I've said it before. I like these episodes where he kind of designs his own plot. Like I'm going to go to this planet. I'm going to do this thing. Not you. Oh, you have to do this one mission for me before you can go carry on what you want to do. Like those are nice every once in a while, but, that was such the formula for the first two seasons. Yeah, I, I agree. I kind of echo a lot of what you um, just said here, but I, I I think the the big takeaway for me, and so so like to kind of back a little bit here, but um, so this one was forty two minutes long. Last week's was thirty two minutes. They feel the same length. Wow, really? I didn't even notice yeah. that. Wow. They they felt the same because like, I think that they're they're really utilizing the time to their advantage. Whereas I feel like, and that's the thing, like the last two seasons, I I liked, and I think the I can only point to one episode in the whole the frog. series. Yeah, yeah, yeah where I <laughs> felt like we kind of slowed down a little too much, and it just felt yeah. a little, you know, like out of left field. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think um, th- it just feels like they're kind of. Like they they found their footing, they know where they want to go, and they're taking us directly there. You know, we're not really stopping for any like you know uh, filler here and there. Like, listen, filler is welcome when it's efficient, and I feel like we're you know, let's be real. I think at some point this season we're probably going to hit a filler episode. But um, yeah, it's 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 direct continuation from last week, and like you said, I feel like every single point of plot here progresses the narrative in a way where it doesn't feel like a video game. Whereas I think the first two seasons kind of felt a little video gamey where you go to the planet, you find your contact, they give you a mission, you go on that mission, you you come back, you get an item or something that will then advance you to the next round. And it kind of felt a little too formulaic. And this doesn't feel that way. I feel like it feels like they're embracing those like very mythological um, aspects of Star Wars. also, one thing I wanted to point out, um, I'm amazed 
at the viewable scale that we have here. And I've been very critical of the sound that they've used, like the volume that they use uh, to to re- you know to record these episodes, because I said, especially in Book of Boba Fett, it feels like you know you are recording in the sound stage, and it's very like evident. This this season, the, these last two episodes have shown how to effectively use the sound, uh, the the volume, I guess, in a very efficient way, because like I. I feel like the like i know it's being recorded within those little constraints but the world feels so vast in that limited space you know like it doesn't feel like i'm I'm watching something that got recorded in the soundstage it feels like somebody went on location for it and i think that like they've gotten really really good about expressing that in in the shot and i think that also goes a long way to i guess kind of like delivering a very very satisfying feel uh, for the audience, I think they've also like really blended the CGI versus what they do in that dome or whatever they call it um, so well that you can't tell what is not real. It looks like these yeah. spaceships are are real and going through these clouds of rain and turbulence and all that, like looking through Bo-Katan, like this is getting a little too specific, but like looking through her cockpit and seeing the wings like flutter a little bit from turbulence it's like that's so wild that they're accomplishing these minor details that just make it feel so real and like the stakes are actual and the connections they're drawing to the animated stuff and to the other pieces of lore that we've seen this episode in particular and here's the one thing i really really like about the show like above everything else that has been done in star wars for somebody like me that's delved into like the expanded universe the books and stuff since i was a kid right like i (laughs) yeah (laughs) my throat there (laughs) it it delivers little like nuggets of of things that somebody like me would catch right but like your casual viewer won't catch it and you know but that's totally fine like it's not like it's catering to one segment of the audience over the rest right because sometimes i know like it's it's tempting to put little moments of fan service where a set number of people will get it, but it feels almost kind of rewarding to to see some of these things that you've seen talked about in in like non the non TV show and and visual mediums, I guess, um, come in, 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 into the, into the picture because it kind of gives some sort of like little I guess acknowledgement of some of the stuff that's been done in the past, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I I totally catch all those references as well. So, but I'll let you, since you have a real appreciation for it, I'll let you talk about those things first. Yes, yes, yes of course. We, we we both read the entire like indexes and all that sh- for for the yep. for the Star Wars visual guides and stuff in, in classes. Yeah, yeah. Back in back in school. Oh, the, more of a, the good more of a Spark Notes guy. <laughs> let's uh let's talk some specific scenes, characters, and plot points. Let's start with the main dude, or a damsel in distress in this episode, because <laughs> poor guy, man, can't catch a break. <laughs> I know. But this I feel is like, like... From the minute he landed, it's like the planet was trying to kill him at every <laughs> point. But that's the thing, is like this is such an interesting arc for him, because he is usually so invincible, and it's like a guaranteed bet that when he goes up against those pirates, he's outnumbered like 8 to 1. And he comes out totally fine. He goes up against their mothership and he gets away like no problem. 
But this is like he's so focused on this redemption path that he's on that it just like sheds his plot armor where I kind of like that. I mean, we don't we know he's not going to die, but actually put him in a little bit of danger of like now he's relying on others to save him as opposed to being that, you know, ultimate hero. Yeah, I, I like that element of this episode because, like, while we had Mando, he was in most of the episode. It also kind of shifted the focus a little bit more to Grogu. And, you know, we, we were talking last week about the, like, the advancement of the puppetry that they've done with Grogu. And it's incredible. Like, like last week, I thought it was incredible. This week, it was, like, blew my mind <laughs> with the amount of uh, of things they had to get accomplished with that puppet. And I think they said there's like three versions of the puppet that they utilize, but it, it was it, it was cool to see it because like from from Mando's perspective with Grogu, most of the time we're relying on Mando's reaction to the Grogu puppet to kind of give us that, um, I guess like verification or something for lack of a better term of like legit like the sense of legitimacy, I guess. But yeah, I I, I love the fact that we. We got to see him take a little bit of a backseat in terms of his invincibility. And um, I was very surprised that we got this this quickly to the point of the visiting the actual mines and visiting Mandalore. I thought we weren't going to get to Mandalore until the end of the season, to be totally honest. I know. you. I, when, I, when I saw the title of this one, I was like, it seems kind of obvious that we were going here. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, I, I agree. Um I, I think this is a good arc for him. The thing that like is odd to me, and this isn't a major detail, but just like giving up on fixing IG, whatever eleven or eighty-eight or whatever the number is, like he gave up on fixing it so quickly when he's like, "Oh, that part's not available. Fine, I'll take uh, R four or whatever." Well, he wanted. Um, I, I was I was a little confused about that part too. But he wanted IG-11, he said, because he wanted a spelunk and, like, cave dive, basically, in Mandalore. Like, he was He really wanted, like, a, a bodyguard or, like, an extra to mm-hmm. be able to fire, which I get. But then why settle for, like, this R4 unit? Well, th- that's where I got a little confused because, like, technically, and I think we might have talked about it a little bit last week, but, like, if you wanted... And, and I think... I told you this too because he said he he needed somebody to help him navigate mandalore and i was like why not get an r2 unit then because like that's a navigator for right you. which made sense but then like also i i have a feeling we haven't dropped the whole ig11 thing um be- mostly because he went straight to peli and earlier in this episode he went to tatooine to to ask about the to get the uh memory modulator or whatever the heck it's called uh yeah. <laughs> Which it turns out she doesn't have, so she offers him R R five, R seven, R four, R something. <laughs> um, the red one. <laughs> yeah, the red and white, the one that Luke didn't choose at the at the start. By the way, did you know that's the same droid? Yeah. That R five. R five. There you go. R five D four. Which also, I love seeing Pelly's. Um, Pelly's like the Hondo of this show, right? Like the I'll sell you something that's obviously busted for like a premium price. And um, and she's drumming up her own business. Yeah, she has the the Jawas destroy speeders, <laughs> hide the part, fix it, and then just reassemble it after getting paid. Which like 
Are we just using her as like a, a saved checkpoint spot to like just keep going pretty back? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, Gina Carano's out, so somebody's got to take <laughs> that co- consistent character's place. I guess. Um, the I, I I don't think we're dropping the IG eleven thing though. I think um, it got brought up too many times for it to be like something that just gets ignored. I'm I'm pretty sure at some point later. This season, we'll see like some follow up on that, but um, it, it it just it was kind of weird though, like the fact that he wanted a droid with different capabilities and settled for something that's radically different. Um, that being said, I don't know. Maybe in the Star Wars universe, both IG units and R two units can run atmosphere analysis. I just didn't think that they both functioned the same way. <laughs> well, I think it's just like settling for like he's put this. I need to go to the mines at the top of his list and I need a droid to perform the most basic function of like test the atmosphere. But what he really wanted was like someone to watch his back, which he clearly needed. Cause I think this is like where we see him actually in fear and then in relief. And maybe it's like false relief where he thought this planet was cursed. Didn't think he was going to be able to go into the mines to bathe. And then once he like he, he gets like the sigh of relief when he's like oh wow the atmosphere is breathable and then that's like when he lets his guard down a little bit yeah and it was interesting to me to see him wield the dark saber this episode so poorly why can't this guy figure so, it out yeah i know i was kind of like but then again it makes sense right because like last and last time we saw him wield it in book of boba fett he was also a bit of an amateur at it um but to wield it against those like ape-looking species of aliens in that planet, uh, I thought was um, a little bit of an odd choice because obviously he doesn't know how to use it yet, <laughs> and it looks like he was getting his uh, he was getting his butt whooped there uh, for a bit. Yeah, and he is always at risk of like hurting himself, like we saw in Book of Boba. I wonder who's gonna teach him. How to wield that thing properly. This is one point I want to talk about, and maybe we just get into it now. But is he now? Is he still the owner of the dark saber? Yes. Yeah, he didn't lose it in combat to somebody. He lost it to the droid, and then the droid lost it to Bo-Katan, and then she crushed him with it, and also saved uh, <laughs> Mando from the from that creature of the deep, like. I don't know. Maybe well, this is the easy cop-out to be like, this is no longer a feud between them. She's earned the saber. No, I don't... She definitely still has a saber at the end of the episode. Um, it's a pretty good story. Up. If the whole point of the dark saber is like, it's not the power of the saber itself, it's the story behind it, she's got a pretty good story for earning it. I mean, the creature didn't challenge him for the saber... I think that's kind of one of the... I don't know. I feel like we're getting a little too <laughs> into the weeds on, on this that is, point. The, yeah, this is like uh, Harry Potter's Elder Wand. Like, <laughs> who is the last owner of it? <laughs> but I honestly do think this is going to be bigger than you're brushing it off to be. I think her coming here, you like wielding it, like showing that she's strong with it and saving him twice in this episode, I think there's an argument for you're not fit to lead. I don't, I, so I didn't see it that way at all. 
I, I the way that I saw this episode was Bo-Katan through Din regaining her faith in the in her ability to possibly be able to lead again. Because like here you have a cynic in Bo-Katan, which by definition, like a cynic is somebody who's been disappointed too many times. So you could argue that they were a staunch believer before, right? So but I, I think that because throughout the entire interaction she had with with Dan after she saves him, which we gotta talk about that whole thing in a little bit, but um she talks to him and like kind of mocks that like he believes in this fairy tale, like there's nothing magic about the 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 waters. So she I think she has the skill for sure. But she has, she lacks the faith, and I think we're starting to see that reawaken in her in this episode, um, because in, it kind of inevitably they both kind of get re rebaptized or, for lack of a better term, born again, right? In in this episode through through the waters and the interaction that happens there. Um, I don't think she's gonna claim this the dark saber necessarily so far, but I think that she now sees some validity in the stuff that that Din believes in, whereas before I feel like she felt like she kind of brushed it off. And she even says that they're like children's stories, which um, I think we should we, we should probably talk about it now. But like when Mando finally goes into the living waters with, with his full suit of armor, by the way, like wouldn't that thing weigh you down? <laughs> like, no, nah, it's know. like the same thing as Game of Thrones when Jamie <laughs> swam an entire ocean underwater. Oh, that's true. And then Bron had to yeah. out of the. Dest- <laughs> they made it all the way underwater and got away. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's at least bad. Bo had a jetpack here, though, so it it makes some sense. Um, no, but the 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 reveal of the mythosaur living in the in in the waters there, um, as a like I said, as somebody who like grew up reading a bunch of these like expanded universe books and stuff, that was such a cool thing to actually see in live action um but also like that's that's the second that i feel like bo-katan is starting to become a believer again because here's something she thought was fake and with her own eyes and she's the only one that witnesses it right because then it's knocked out i think at that point yeah and i just think that i see your point and i also agree that it this is elements of telling her story of like regaining her faith not just her skills and ability to leave but also like the reason why she sees din's like so passionate about this um sect of mandalorians that she will understand why like what is fueling the watch and will be able to lead them i just feel like she's getting so many signals in this episode of like here's the dark saber for your taking to wield she wields it properly You've saved the guy who had it twice, who who had it twice, and then she also is like visited by this creature of like, this is our this is the sigil of our planet, and it's not attacking me. It's just like we make eye contact. I view that more as like a, you're the one to lead, kind of a, I don't know, Easter egg or whatever. It could be. I guess it depends on how she's going to take it too. And we don't we don't get that bit in this episode. But like, it it could be like I see it going one of two ways, right? Either she she reinvigorates her faith and kind of places her confidence in Din, on leading them, and and decides you know I'm going to teach him how to wield the dark saber, or she's reinvigorated in her faith in herself, 
goes out to try and claim Mandalore, and that's going to lead into a clash between both of these characters at at, at some point. Because she, she's going to have to either kill him or defeat him in battle to some degree. I'm confused, though. Her level of skill with the saber is incredible. But also, how did she get defeated by Moff Gideon, then? Who swung that thing around like if it was, like, a stick? You know, like, he, it looked like he had no skill with it. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if Moff obeyed or cared about the significance of it and that there had to be a narrative for him to own it. I think it was more of just, like, let me collect prizes. But I, to be honest, I also lose track of where the Darksaber is during Rebels. I cannot remember, like, Sabine had it last, in my knowledge, there. I don't remember what happened to it after. I think she gave it back to Satine. So I think they originally find it in Maul's cave. So Sabine finds it. Right. Doesn't want the responsibility, but learns how to use it. Right. And then gives it to Bo-Katan at the end of that whole Mandalorian arc. So she so gives then it to some her. point we haven't seen, Bo-Katan loses it to Moff. I imagine that is the same idea as, like, we don't get to see the bombing of Mandalore. We probably don't get to see, like, how things were cared for or taken prisoner or hostage or just stolen. Yeah, it just it, it just kind of baffles me a little bit, but because if they like if it was a situation like like with Din in this episode where he gets captured and the saber just simply gets taken from him, then in the eyes of the Mandalorians, technically she didn't lose it, right? Like she it was just kind of taken from her because nobody issued a formal challenge. But I could be wrong. I, I just you're just hung up on this the... formal challenge, man, and I'm so not hung is, up on though. that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Because no, that honestly is like a big difference. Because it is, I think, does she even need to be challenged, or is it just like those she that does. would follow the lore of it see that she couldn't even hold on to it during a time when the planet needed her to have it? I think that we might be more... enough. Just to be like, we don't need to follow you. We need more Mandos to weigh in on this. Because like I personally, when when my replica dark saber came in, I challenged the UPS guy for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that went over well. Rules. No, the, I think the matchup I want to see is not Mando versus Bo-Katan. I want to see Bo-Katan versus uh, Pre Vizsla. But he's dead. Or whatever the Vizsla is that <laughs> keeps oh, getting Paz? a bigger gun. Paz Vizsla? Yeah, Paz. Paz who thinks who, who immediately challenged Din for the dark saber? Yeah, like. It, within two seconds. So I could see us going in a plot direction of like Bo-Katan keeping the saber after this cave interaction and then bringing yeah. Din back to the watch and she's going to try and convert people like I have the dark saber. We've been to the planet. We want you to come with us. And then Vizsla being like, no, nah, I want that saber from you now. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets his butt kicked again. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I mean, this guy's all guns. Is that his son, though, or his grandson? I can't tell. I feel like it's, it's probably his son. Probably son, because Bo-Katan was young, not super young, in Rebels. 
which wouldn't have been. You should have named him post Vizsla. It would have been more appropriate. Pre and post Vizsla. <laughs> Ad hoc Vizsla. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see how it's gonna go. I guess we should talk a little bit about bow too, as we're, we already yeah. kind of did, but like, um, the, the bow and Grogu combination. I love how she went from, oh, here we go. This guy's back. Let me go deal with him once and for all. So I'm like, murder oh, no. him. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Whoa, <laughs> so whoa. Like, oh no, baby Yoda's in trouble. Let me drop everything that I'm doing and <laughs> help him. Did you get the sense that she was going to kill Din, Din uh, if she saw him again? After the first I thought episode? that's, yeah, I kind of got the sense that she you was got definitely that sense? Did not. I... Not not kill him, but like I, I'm pretty sure she disdained him to 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 some extent. Yeah, I thought she was like, "You're wasting your time. Just get out of my sight." That's how I read that end of that conversation. But the beginning of this one is like, "Oh, there's a ship. All right, we're murdering this guy." <laughs> it went full on. I was so torn up about that though, because it was International Women's Day, so I definitely was gonna have to support. You know, like if she wanted, if she wanted to take him out, it's only within her right. She can try. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I, don't, I, I really like the interaction she had with with Grogu. Um, it's just I find her character a little confusing and a little inconsistent in certain points. I like her. It's just. I'm trying to figure out like well what's what's the deal with like where the heck she really stands because a lot of the stuff that she says is kind of like she kind of helped bring the downfall and the infighting. She talks about how like the infighting is what kind of tore Mandalore apart. Well, you were part of Death Watch, which kind of contributed a big deal to that. Um, she's, and she's that, dealing in a lot of absolutes. I'm gonna say. yeah, yeah, she is. <laughs> But I, I like the, and I think it's it serves well that Katie Sackhoff, who voiced her in the Clone Wars and Rebels, is back here playing her in, in live action because the line delivery on a lot of that, it to me it kind of read like there was some level of guilt in a lot of the stuff that she's saying, and I'm waiting for her to mention Satine in name because like that was a big part of her whole story. And I, I love the fact that she mentioned her father and that little interaction she had with Din where she says that he died protecting Mandalore and he just stops what he stops in his tracks and just basically kind of, you know, gives his condolences in a way, I guess, by, by saying this is the way in a different, like, tone. Yeah. Um, there, there's, like, a big, heavy burden. And I feel like there's part of me that wants her to be the ruler of Mandalore after all this because she's, she's capable of doing it. But I also feel like, from a character perspective, she's already failed, like, twice. So I feel like it just wouldn't make sense from a narrative perspective to put it back into her, you know? But I think I don't these know. contradictions are allowed for her character because she was raised where, you know, they were friends with some Jedi. Like, she was close with Ahsoka. She was close with Ezra and Kanan and even Obi-Wan, like... She's had these relationships with uh, Jedi who would teach her one way of ruling, but then she was also in Death Watch, which is the same thing, the same clan that Mando comes from. So it's like, I think she's such a like mixed, like melting pot of 
like how she was raised and what are her values that she's like struggling with that aspect of it. I think she still is like the most fit ruler because if you want to try and rebuild Mandalore, you need somebody who understands what it was before and what it could have been. And it seems like that's where she's gotten to like introspectively seeing like this was once a great city, but not because like it was, you know, prosperous and big. It was like we had more potential. I would agree, but I also feel like it's because of the fact that she remembers what it was that I feel like would make her an inefficient ruler for a new man. It is a fine line for sure, because she might just try and recreate the past, which is like that got you nowhere. So it is a yeah. fine line for sure there. So there has to be elements of growth, but there's like as much as we say Mando should be the leader, like I don't know. Is he actually get like fit for leading? I think we're gonna see that play out this season like i because I, I don't think it's going to be something where like by the end of the season he's like the fit ruler necessarily i think he's going to win that right or that ability to yeah but to, just being a good person that. doesn't make you qualified for leadership i mean it's a pretty big <laughs> it, it, it's, it's an not important like aspect but it's also like i don't know is he that inspiring to follow I guess maybe because well, he keeps bringing Gina's character back and <laughs> they would follow him <laughs> to the end of the earth. I, th- I think that's we're, we're meant to kind of see the, the progression in that um, to, to begin with, because like in in Din was a character initially that was very like we were introduced to him as, as a cold faced killer. You know, like he was a, a ruthless bounty hunter who didn't care about anything but winning enough credits to help his people simple man making his way across the galaxy yeah (laughs) like his father no i don't know what his father did before him (laughs) but uh but he changed all that when when he meets grogu so i think it's been like a, a projection to to get to that point and i don't think he's there yet but i think we're seeing the pieces kind of align there or starting to 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 kind of line themselves up um ultimately like i i I do. I'm I'm torn as an audience member, right? Like, I I feel like you're right. Like, Bo-Katan makes sense as a better leader. Yet at the same time, I kind of feel more like there's more like this aspirational, inspirational level to 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 Mando to make the case for him to be that. Um, or, or then again, it might be Grogu at the end. Like maybe the Mandalorian and the title is actually Grogu and not. No, don't go that far. I think it's it's probably going to be Mandalorian Mando, uh, just because they need the narrative of like someone who can reach across the aisle. Like he has connections to the Watch, and if he properly learns how to wield the dark saber, like I could see the way that I outlined it with Bo-Katan ending up with it. I could also see him just training with her and learning how to wield, like use it from her, and then be able yeah. to wield, like you know, summon the people that would follow it regardless of whoever wielded that sword. So I could see it, the plot going either way. Um, I feel like there's more drama in Bo-Katan getting the saber right now from this cave interaction. But I feel like as far as like character development, probably best if they just like teach each other these elements of like, here's what I've learned in the watch and here's here's how you can train with the sword, like teach each other. Yeah. 
He's also got connections with the Jedi here, which I, I hope at some point we get to see him actually being instructed to how to wield that thing. Because I think it would be frustrating for me if we get to the end of the season and he still doesn't know how to wield that Darksaber efficiently. Yeah, it's so annoying see him to see him take it out every time because it's like it's immediately like he has zero control over it. So, yeah, I would love to see them revisit Luke or bring Ahsoka back into the fold. Just the way that, like, Kanan taught Sabine how to use it. Like, it, yeah. there's no shame in that. It's a lightsaber weapon. Like, yeah. have a Jedi teach you it. It's not meant to be wielded by anybody without the Force. So if anybody without the Force is able to wield it, that's impressive enough already. You know, like... Is that true for lightsabers? Because I feel like anyone can just pick one of those things up. Well, I, what I mean is, like, it, it's like the extension of everything. Really, like you technically can't utilize the lightsaber to its fullest potential without like you can't block a blaster bolt by guessing where it's going to hit you need the force to mm. guide you to block that right um cuz cuz technically you don't like you look at we've had like grievous right in the past he was a lightsaber wielder didn't use didn't have the force finn great example finn yeah <laughs> pre previsla <laughs> Pre Vizsla, um, which by the way, I guess I guess he was skilled enough to like be able to wield that a little bit more effortlessly in Clone Wars. Yeah, I don't know if there was as much of a like it's difficult to use in Rebels. I think Sabine yeah. was the only one who struggled with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, she got into a fight for it too, didn't she? Against Gar Gar Saxon, that Imperial. Mandalore betrayer dude. It's tough I to re recall these things now. There's a lot of names in those shows. By the way, I still don't get that whole plot line. Why would you trade your Beskar armor for Stormtrooper armor? That was just like a really like crappy deal from the start. <laughs> it depends on if there was other perks. I don't know. Yeah. Let's talk Grogu real quick. Cause... Yeah, last character of the show we haven't talked about. I love Grogu. I'm loving him even more now oh, yeah? because he's now no him. longer just... <laughs> Everybody loves Grogu, kid. Who doesn't <laughs> love Grogu? <laughs> um, they they went all out this episode with the puppetry, with the extent of like what they were... Like, I feel like he's, he's now down to like an actual side character. Whereas I feel like the first two seasons he was almost like very prop-like. Right, like here, he feels like a living, breathing character. Finally, is he a little too smart? Like, has he evolved a little too fast? That's tough were, to say. There was zero communication between them, and is the only thing that's really changed is he's had a couple lessons with Luke. Maybe that was two years. I don't know. Apparently, he's had a few was, lessons. And like. Din Djarin learned his name. Outside of that, like, why are they, like, why is he able to be, like, here's how you navigate across the star systems. You got that? Cool, because you might need that later on. Like, why is he so in touch with their communications right now? Well, it's not like Grogu can't understand him. It's he can't understand Grogu, right? Like, so, like, he is able to absorb all that knowledge. Plus, if he's able to learn, like, force tactics, I'm pretty sure... Reading a map and navigation is not too far-fetched to 
to say he can like. I don't get know. Down. I can read, and I don't know how to read a map. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a problem. <laughs> is that a, is that something I should be proud of? <laughs> well, you you went on a cross country trek on your bike. How do you not know how to read a map? That's that's all sat nav telling you make the next left turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it, technically it was the same thing here. He just pointed and told. Yeah, he did he go, go right onto autopilot. Like I want that one out of the three planets that are here. <laughs> <laughs> go, they're coming for us. You know what confuses me though about the Grugu situation? The the little pram that he has. Where is that thing docked? Like how yeah. does it pop up? It <laughs> pops up in Bo-Katan's legs. ship. Yeah, that like I I need to see a schematic of that N one Starfighter because that doesn't look as roomy as it they're trying to sell us on. Yeah, and what's like the tube that connects to that back hatch where the droid would normally go? Because he just like disappears from the glass casing and then just appears in in uh, Din's lap. That N one is a complicated look. This is what, this is where my nerd part comes out. Yeah, hit us. <laughs> There's a schematic thing of how a droid fits into that little socket. And it always used to amuse me as, as a kid reading those like schematic books. But apparently for an R2 unit to fit in there, the head is the only thing that floats up to the top and like it basically detaches from the body. So it's like a very narrow tube. So that's why I'm like, the, the nerd in me is like, how is anything fitting in there besides the head of R5? Like, I don't know. It just like I just have so many questions about space in that ship because <laughs> it, it shouldn't be that roomy. R five. I think he's fine to fit through there. But the pram, the pram was no like. How did it get on Bo-Katan's ship when it was? I'm paying too much attention to this stuff, but like it just. It the, goes like, with it, man. It's like a. It's it's like when you're in a video game and you can take something huge out of your backpack. <laughs> it's it's stark nanotech. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) But no, I like that. I, I, I question his evolution of intelligence, but I do like that we are just kind of progressing a little bit faster to be like, he can be of some assistance on some of these missions. His use of the force with the force push and stuff was really adorable, but also like it kind of gets me to a point where are we ever going to see him wield the lightsaber in this show at some point? Like, are we, I thought he was about to pick up that dark saber in this one. I thought so too. I thought that was going to be what it was going to do. Like, Oh, here we go. He's going to shine and free himself, but it made so narrative he, sense to go get both. He doesn't get to keep the lightsaber that Luke offered him. Right. That's been on my mind for a while. Right. Because like, Here's the thing, like, Luke wasn't a stickler for the, the rules. Like, we, he, he ditched Yoda's training to go save his friends, too. So, there's a part of me that thinks Grogu is somewhere in the, that starship is carrying around Yoda's lightsaber. And we're going to have, like, a reveal moment at some point. Because, I don't know, to me, that Book of Boba Fett sequence where Luke is like, you can take one or the other, but not both. It kind of felt a little un-Luke-like to me. You know, like, a little out of, out of character yeah. for him. Yeah, it's like, give me all the starter Pokemons, Professor Oak. I'm taking them all. I'll trade for them with my friends. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like playing Pokemon Yellow, where you get Pikachu as a starter, but you get to get all three of the starters in the exactly. story. 
I I kind of feel like that's one of the big reveals. I don't know if we'll get that this season. I think we should. I want Grogu to fight that little Mando kid from the first episode. Yeah, get, cut his head off. I, I look, look. I'm gonna make a <laughs> prediction right now. At the end yeah, of this let's, season, let's do Paz Vizsla will challenge Din Djarin again for the dark saber, and then his little snot-nosed kid is gonna come out of nowhere to try to intervene, and that's when Grogu is gonna pull up that lightsaber. A two v two. Yeah, it's gonna be Team Grogu battle. and Din. Yeah, versus the Paz Vizslas. <laughs> the past Vizslas now. <laughs> They're gonna make the past Vizslas. <laughs> the no longer. That's my bold prediction. <laughs> That's a cool prediction. I like that. I, I still would have loved to see IG Eleven as a mech suit or something. <laughs> <laughs> For growth. One can only dream. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have any crazy predictions like that. I think the obvious ones that we had talked about are long-term pending like going back to navarro and having to help free that city that's going to be taken over by pirates i feel like that's kind of obvious but like the the parts that's not clear is like what is our next stop we we did the bathing in the water living water tribunals do we go back to bo-katan's palace do we go back to tatooine do we go to navarro do we go to the watch do we go to a different planet that we haven't seen yet to try and recruit some of those other Mandalorians? Like this is like an interesting point. Cause it doesn't seem like there's an obvious trail. Like it's always been like, I'm going to go get that part for IG 11. I have to go to Tatooine for that. I've got, next. I'm going to go to the minds of Mandalore. It's not clear what's next. I guess Bo-Katan's palace is like probable since his ship is there, but I, I can't see that being more than the layover. Yeah, I feel maybe, if anything, we'll probably get a visit back to Navarro. I feel we have to go back there to some to some degree. I feel like that's two, three episodes away. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. This is the fun about this show too, because I feel like I can't like point to somewhere and be like, I know for sure we're gonna go this way because. Yeah, back in the comic books, this and this happened. I feel like the watch almost makes the most sense. Like he's gonna be recruiting followers, and then the Navarro plot seems like that's gonna be the ultimate. All right, let's bring all the Mandalorians together yeah. and show our show our strength and like repel the pirates. Or, I mean, they've they've talked about some like imperial presence there potentially. So like. It could be like a, you know, battle of the five armies, Hobbit style, where like everybody shows up and it's like the Mandalorians have to really come together. We've also yes to see Moff Gideon and the uh, cloner dude that were arrested last season. So I have a feeling we're gonna seg. Yeah, was it Kershing? Pershing. Pershing. Kershing. Kershwood. Pershing. He. <laughs> um. I think we're going to segue into them in episode four or five, I feel like, because it feels like around the, that time. You think we're getting more Moff? Pivoted. I feel like they just wrote him off the same way they wrote off Gina. I don't think they're writing, <laughs> I don't think they're writing him off anytime soon. He's at a war tribunal. But Whatever I'm that so... <laughs> the Council of Geneva, that's what it is. Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> 
Well, if they're going to do, like, because sometimes they like to kind of mimic real-world history kind of thing. Like, technically, after World War II, a lot of those, like, Nazi scientists and stuff did not go... Oh, who's talking about Nazis? Because the Empire were essentially space Nazis. (laughs) What if something similar happens, where, like, Moff Gideon's given some sort of, like, plea deal or something, and, like, at some point he gets recruited to do something that's now... I don't know. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but... I don't think no. we've seen the last of my Gideon. I don't know, maybe. I don't see that being he's, a major thread in this season. He's got to tie into Thrawn again, right? Because it kind of makes sense that he was uh, aligned with Grand Admiral Thrawn, which it sounds like is going to be another thing that they kind of set up last season. So, Well, that's more of a Soka series. Yeah. Are we going to get an Endgame-style clash with all the shows, I feel like? Right? Like, I feel like that's coming. It could. I don't think anyone would be mad at it. Moff Gideon makes sense to be connected to Thrawn, because he got so ingrained in Mandalorian culture the same way that Thrawn seemed to, like, get into all the planets that he invaded his culture. Because he was an artist collector, too. I don't know. It it, It kind of feels like it. And Din needs a teacher, so like bringing Ahsoka back. Yeah, this especially Ahsoka. She's she's good at surviving trilogies, so (laughs) it writes itself, folks. Yeah, there you go. Any last thoughts about the episode or where we're going? I'm excited to see what's coming next. I have no idea where we're heading, (laughs) to be honest. But yeah. I think that's part of the fun. I, you know, like I'd love to speculate, but also like it feels good to not be able to put my finger on something and be like, "That's where I pretty like I'm 80 percent sure we're gonna go." Yeah, um, it's not as obvious as it's been in previous seasons. I feel like yeah, I remember us talking about the first season being like, "Well, the trailer shows four sequential events where it's like we know the first four episodes, and then the second trailer like midway through showed the last how it's gonna end like." We could dissect it that way. I feel like I can't do that so much this one. Well, this show has always been pretty good about that, too. Like, giving you just enough in the trailer, but you can't. Because other shows, I feel like you, you can see bits of the end in the trailer. But they've done a pretty good job so far this year to kind of keep us out of that. Yeah. No. But, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just excited to see what's coming down the pipeline. This is I've, I'm enjoying this show a lot more, and I'm going to be really, really sad when it's over. So, um. I'm looking forward to the next six weeks. Yeah, it's a great show to look forward to midweek. All right, let's get out of the booth, man. Let's get out of the booth and play us some Mando chord. I think I'm just going to let this music play out. I I, I love this track. (laughs) Fans are loving it. Give it to them. (laughs) Adios. Adios.